This is a podcast from the Business Times. Believe it or not, there is a well-established REIT or real estate investment trust listed in Singapore that is currently trading at a historical distribution yield of nearly 28% and a nearly 70% discount to its book value. I'm referring, of course, to Manulife US REIT. This was the only pure play US office property REIT in Singapore when it listed back in 2016. Last year, the REIT warned that its asset portfolio would suffer a significant devaluation, which would result in its gearing bumping up against the statutory ceiling of 50%. That resulted in a major collapse in the market value of the REIT's units over the last few months to about 17 US cents at the time of recording. That's nearly 70% below Manulife US REIT's net asset value at the end of 2022 of 55 US cents per unit, which takes into account the devaluation it warned everyone about. And based on the REIT's distribution per unit of 4.75 US cents for 2022, the REIT's units are now trading at a yield of about 28%. While the outlook for Manulife US REIT is very, very bleak, some investors think the extremely depressed levels at which its units are now trading might already reflect the worst possible outcomes for the REIT. So is Manulife US REIT a bargain right now or is it a value trap? Hello, everybody. Welcome to the BT Mark to Market podcast. My name is Ben Paul, and I'm a senior correspondent at The Business Times. This series of podcasts, which is based on my weekly column in The Business Times, aims to provide analysis and insight on market trends and corporate issues in Singapore. We're in the month of June 2023, and regular readers of the Mark to Market column will probably know that I've written about developments at Manulife US REIT a few times this year. I've been told that some people think this is because I'm invested in the REIT and that I'm upset that it's performed so poorly. This isn't true, of course. The amount I have invested in Manulife US REIT is far too small to incentivize me to do anything. The real reason I've been writing about Manulife US REIT is because what's happening there is going to inform, profoundly, the thinking of investors and regulators, and indeed the whole REIT sector, about the responsibilities of REIT sponsors when they execute strategic pivots in their business. I'll come back to this point later in this podcast. Let me first address the question that many people have been asking. What's going to happen next at Manulife US REIT? Last month, on May 24, the manager of Manulife US REIT announced two very significant developments. The first was that the exclusivity period for a deal it had been negotiating with South Korea's Mirai Asset Global Investments had lapsed. The manager said it remains open to ongoing discussions with Mirai, but that it is also considering proposals from other prospective partners to strengthen the REIT. The second thing the manager announced was that it plans to sell another of its portfolio properties, a building in Atlanta called Phipps Tower, to its sponsor group. If the sale goes through, this will be the second property that Manulife US REIT is selling to its sponsor group. Back in April, the REIT sponsor group took a property called Tannisborn, located in Hillsborough, Oregon, off its books. Just before these announcements came out, the market price of Manulife US REIT's units suddenly rebounded on heavy volume. The market price of its units had fallen to a low of about 13 US cents, but there was a sudden turnaround in sentiment and its units jumped by about 30% to close at 18 US cents on May 23, the day before the announcements were made. Why was the market so excited when it got wind of what was coming? Here's what I think. On the face of it, the announcement suggests Mirai is probably not going through with its deal. If it was just a matter of needing more time to hammer out some details, Manulife US Reed and Mirai could have just agreed to extend the exclusivity period to get everything done. 
Now, there may well be other suitors for Manulife US Read, but keep in mind that its manager had previously said that Mire was its preferred bidder. So Manulife US Read's manager is probably not as keen on a deal with the other suitors as it was with Mire. The fact that Manulife US Read is now also proposing to sell FIPS to its sponsor group seems to support this hypothesis. REITs are designed to pay out pretty much all their cash flow. And because Manulife US REITs gearing is already close to its statutory ceiling, it has limited flexibility to draw down additional debt to modernize and enhance its properties, or even to fund its leasing costs. So it needs to somehow raise some cash. The sale of Tanisbon back in April only raised 33.5 million US dollars. It was really a very small transaction which indicated, in my view, that the REIT sponsor group was not really keen at that point on putting up its own money to turn the REIT around. Instead, the sponsor seemed to be holding out for a deal with a potential suitor. The sale of FIPS, however, is a much bigger deal. The asset is currently in Manulife US REIT's books at a valuation of $210 million US dollars. So, assuming it's sold at around that price, the REIT will be taking in much more cash and reducing its gearing more significantly than it did with the sale of Tanisbon. In short, the two developments announced on May 24 suggest that Manulife US REIT's sponsor group is not expecting to seal a strategic deal with Mire or another suitor, and it is instead preparing to rehabilitate the REIT itself, at least for now. In my view, this is a good thing, or at least it's potentially better than if Manulife US REIT were to be taken over by another sponsor group, because that sort of deal could result in immediate and significant dilution for unit holders. Certainly, there was widespread expectation of dilution when the manager of Manulife US REIT was forced by a leak to the press back in March to confirm that a deal with Mire was indeed on the cards. The deal was widely expected to involve the sale of the REIT manager to Mire and an injection of cash into the REIT through a private placement of new units to Mireille. Manulife US REIT was already trading well below its book value, so it naturally led to concerns that minority investors were going to be treated very shabbily. The way some market watchers saw it, the sponsor was going to get paid for selling the manager to Mireille, while unit holders would suffer dilution as a result of the entry of Mireille. Now, interestingly, Miri did not appear to be subject to the same 9.8% ownership cap as the Manulife Group, so this could have increased the dilution risk for unit holders, depending on the specific terms of the deal. This created a sort of vicious cycle in the market, with the market price of Manulife US REIT falling because of concerns about dilution, and concerns about dilution driving its market price down even further. So the way I see it, the announcements last month about the exclusivity period with Mire expiring and the REIT selling FIPS to its sponsor group should be taken by investors in a positive light, as it might put a flaw under the REIT's market price for now. But will Manulife US REIT keep rising from its current levels? And how much higher could it climb? I'm going to talk about that next. Join senior correspondent Leslie Yee on Property BT for insights to help you on your property investment journey. Every fourth Thursday of the month, with your trusted partner for property information, go to bt.sg podcasts to download. And now, back to Mark to Market from the Business Times. At the beginning of this podcast, I said that what's happening at Manulife US REIT could be a landmark event of sorts for the whole REIT sector, and that it might inform the thinking of investors and even regulators about the responsibilities of REIT sponsors. 
One defining feature of the Singapore REIT sector is that all the REITs listed here have external managers, while in most other markets, the managers are owned by the REITs themselves. I'm not going to get into a long monologue about the pros and cons of these two models, but I think it's fair to say that there is a widely held view that externally managed REITs are less favourable than internally managed REITs from the perspective of investors. Yet, it's also true that Singapore's REIT market is today anchored by a handful of very strong local sponsor groups, such as Capital Land Investment, Capital Corp and Maple Tree Investments, just to name a few, which have used their group resources to maintain the viability of their REITs through the various market cycles that we've experienced over the past two decades. For example, Capital Land has reoriented itself, as well as some of its REITs, away from the retail property sector over the last few years. Some investors will remember that back in September 2020, the manager of Capital Land Retail China Trust unveiled an expanded investment strategy that would see the REIT diversify its portfolio to include, besides retail malls, offices, business parks, logistics facilities and data centres. With this change in positioning, the REIT was subsequently renamed Capital Land China Trust. Another example was Capital Land Mall Trust, also expanding beyond retail properties in 2020 by merging with Capital Land Commercial Trust. As with all the REIT mergers at the time, there was unease about whether minority investors in these two REITs were being treated fairly under the merger, and the pandemic also sparked a lot of volatility. So to sweeten the deal, the manager of Capital Land Mall Trust waived its acquisition fees of $111.2 million. The merger succeeded, and Capital Land Mall Trust has since changed its name to Capital Land Integrated Commercial Trust. Perhaps the most potent example of a REIT sponsor supporting a major pivot by one of its REITs was the case of Maple Tree Commercial Trust's acquisition of Maple Tree North Asia Commercial Trust, which was completed last year. This is an example I've cited more than once in my Mark to Market columns, and it was also the subject of episode 18 of this podcast series because it was such a grand gesture on the part of Maple Tree Investments. As I said in the Capital Land case, there was investor unease about the spate of REIT mergers a couple of years ago, because under these merger deals, unit holders of one REIT or the other felt they were being shortchanged by the exchange ratio, or because they were simply not excited about the assets of the other REIT. Now, when Maple Tree Commercial Trust said it would merge with Maple Tree North Asia Commercial Trust, unit holders of both REITs balked at the deal. Unit holders of Maple Tree Commercial Trust were upset that the North Asia Trust was being valued at book value, even though it had been trading well below book value before the merger announcement. On the other hand, unit holders of the North Asia Trust were unhappy about being paid in Maple Tree Commercial Trust units because the market value of those units fell after the merger was announced. So, to win over reluctant investors on both sides of the deal, Maple Tree Investments backed a $2.2 billion preferential offering by Maple Tree Commercial Trust at slightly over $2 per unit, which was more than its market price at the time, to enable Maple Tree Commercial Trust to pay unit holders of the North Asia Trust in cash instead of new units. Maple Tree Investments essentially put $2.2 billion on the table to make the proposed pivot by Maple Tree Commercial Trust work. It was sort of like the sponsor making a cash offer for the North Asia Trust and then injecting it into Maple Tree Commercial Trust in exchange for new units priced at a premium. Maple Tree Commercial Trust, by the way, is now called Maple Tree Pan Asia Commercial Trust, and it's still trading below the price at which it issued new units to Maple Tree Investments. 
the way I see it, this track record of Singapore's leading REIT sponsors is one reason we have a thriving REIT market, despite all the REITs being externally managed. And this is something that foreign REIT sponsors ought to emulate when they set up REITs in this market. The Manulife Group has ample financial capacity to rehabilitate its REIT. Indeed, the proposal for Manulife US REIT to sell FIPS, the office property I mentioned earlier, back to its sponsor group, clearly demonstrates this. Moreover, the positive reaction from the market also suggests investors prefer this to the rumoured deal that was being hatched with Mirate. Now, to be clear, I'm not suggesting that the sale of a REIT by one sponsor group to another is necessarily bad for unit holders. Sometimes, sponsor groups simply don't have the financial resources to rescue or reposition their REITs, and the REIT being taken over by a stronger sponsor group might not be a bad thing. And a lot depends on the details of the transaction. In the case of the rumoured deal between Manulife and Mire, I had suggested in a recent column that Mire should not be allowed to recapitalize Manulife US REIT by taking up a placement of new units at their currently depressed market price. Instead, Mire should have agreed to inject fresh equity into the REIT at its current NAV to limit the dilutive impact on existing unit holders and demonstrate its long-term commitment to the REIT. This might seem an unreasonable demand, given the steep discount at which Manulife US REIT was trading versus its NAV, but look at it this way. Miri would effectively be paying the equivalent of the appraised value of the REIT's property assets, which any committed REIT sponsor ought to be willing to do. This, of course, has parallels to the case of Maple Tree Investments that I mentioned earlier. Another way for a potential new sponsor like Mary to recapitalize the REIT would have been to organize a rights issue of new units at a discounted price, underwritten by the incoming sponsor. This way, existing unit holders would get the first bite at a lucrative recapitalization opportunity, with the incoming sponsor backing the whole deal. Of course, these various possibilities are not really relevant at the moment. The larger point I'm trying to make is that the manner in which the Manulife Group handles the rehabilitation of its REIT is going to inform the market, one way or another, on the importance of having a sponsor group with the capacity and inclination to support their REITs through difficulties and eventually place them on a stronger footing. So, is Manulife US REIT a bargain right now? Does it offer an opportunity to invest in US commercial property at a big discount? The bottom line, in my view, is that it depends on exactly how the Manulife Group actually deals with its troubled REIT. As I said earlier, the market seems to like the fact that the sponsor is now helping to reduce the REIT's gearing by taking on the FIPS property in Atlanta. But this seemed to only happen because a deal with Mireille was not immediately forthcoming. Manulife itself has not actually said it has abandoned the idea of doing a deal with another sponsor group, and it may well not say anything in order to keep its options open. In any case, even if the Manulife Group decides to rehabilitate its REIT by itself, unit holders face a long, hard road ahead. The U.S. office property sector is in the midst of a big downturn, and some analysts tell me that we might still be some way from the bottom. In the meantime, reducing the REIT's gearing through asset sales will, of course, also reduce its distributions per unit. And possible initiatives like reconstituting the REIT's portfolio by augmenting it with properties in sectors more promising than the U.S. office sector will take a long time to pull off. On the other hand, Manulife U.S. REIT is trading at a very big discount to its NAV, so investors have a big margin of safety to cope with further reductions in the book value of the REIT's properties and cuts in its distributions per unit. So I think Manulife U.S. REIT is indeed a bargain, but... 
investors should not expect a quick turnaround. If you get in now, it's best to have a long-term view. That's it for this episode of Mark to Market. I'm senior correspondent Ben Paul at The Business Times. This is a podcast by The Business Times. Find more BT podcasts at businesstimes.com.sg slash podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast is meant to provide general information only. SPH Media accepts no liability for loss arising from any reliance on the podcast or use of third parties' products and services. Please consult professional advisors for independent advice.